Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and my guest today is David Wood, and he joins us to share how 30% more courage can double your revenue and your happiness. Now, he is a former consulting actuary to Fortune 100 companies such as Sony, Sony Music, Procter & Gamble, and Exxon, and he left his Cushy Park Avenue job about 20 years ago to explore the outer world and his own inner world. And along the way, he's coached thousands of hours in dozens of countries around the globe and is author of Get Paid for Who You Are with the foreword by Jack Canfield of Chicken Soup fame. We all know who Jack Canfield is. Now, David built the world's largest coaching business, becoming number one on Google. That's hard to do, get number one anything on Google for life coaching and coaching thousands of hours in 12 countries around the globe. As well as helping others, David is no stranger to overcoming challenges himself. Having survived a full collapse of his paraglider and a fractured spine, witnessing the death of his sister at age seven, anxiety and depression, and a national gong show. I don't even know what a gong show is. You're going to have to explain that one to me. And today he's going to share us with why playing safe is the most dangerous thing you can do, and he's going to outline simple steps that our audience can take to reap rewards that are just not possible from your current comfort zone. David, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Denise. I'm having a good time already from our pre-call to uh, enjoying how well you read that introduction. Oh, Um, thank you. I'm having a good time. Well, we did on our pre-call, I always do a pre-interview because we're going to be talking and I'm telling the audience why. I'm going to be chatting with my amazing guests for an hour and we have to know that we're comfortable with one another. We have plenty to talk about and share. So that's why I do that. But we also just now in my virtual green room, I mentioned to you that, you know, I, I like you to call in about five minutes early. I embarrassingly enough, was three minutes late. And the reason for that was because I couldn't log into my own show. And you caught fire on that. So let's talk about that a bit. Oh, yeah. I love what you said to me. I think it's very powerful, and I'm already applying it to my day today. You said I was going to panic, and then I thought, ah, what the heck. And I love that because there's that moment in our minds daily for most of us where we have that option and it starts to happen and we're about to panic and then we just normally do it unconsciously. But what you said is, no, I made another choice. I was about to panic and I thought, what the heck? Let's try something else. So I'm already applying this to, I was thinking about today, there's been a thing that's been bothering me about um, some prospective clients who didn't get back to me. I'm like, oh, I have to chase them up. I have to follow up. And then I thought, yeah, what the heck? You know, maybe I'll follow them up, but I don't have to panic about it. I don't have to, it's not really my business what happens uh, with those calls. And then the other thing is I woke up, I've just moved into a new house 
which is an amazing house. But if you've ever seen The Money Pit with Tom Hanks um, a long, long time ago, it reminds me of that because it's an old house. And I woke up to find the roof leaking onto my desk. And so there was a little bit of panic. And after talking to you five minutes ago, I thought, oh, what the heck? I just, <laughs> there are other things to put my attention on. I don't, I don't need to go down that path. And, you know, you just said something, thank you for that, but you just said something very important, too, that it was an option that I chose. Honestly, until you said that, I didn't regard it as an option. I thought it was just me mm. being snarky because I do that mm. very well. I'm <laughs> very good, snarky <laughs> and sardonic. But I really just said, oh, what the heck, I'm not going to, to panic. But it was an option, yeah. and I didn't recognize that until you said so. So thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. What a great way to start this call. Uh, so I'm, I'm planning to apply that for the rest of the day and tomorrow. And with all the problems my mind brings to me, I'm going to, I've got to consciously choose, hey, do I want to panic about that? Or do I want to do something else? Because there are other things I can put my attention on. It doesn't have to be panic. It could be what action I'm going to take. It could be... Um, being kind to someone who, who needs my help right now. I don't have to do it. Byron Katie is one of my favorite teachers, and she says that there are three types of business in the world, my business, other people's business, and God's business, God being the God of your understanding. And she says eventually you realize it's all God's business. But I love this, and I use this with my clients. Whose business are you in? Whose business are you in when I'm panicking about the roof leaking? Well, I could tell oh. them the roofer's business. Is that my right. business? No, it's the agent's business. It's the roofer's business. Whose business am I in when I'm thinking that these potential clients should have gotten back to me in a certain time frame? I'm in their business. So I find that so helpful. And see, I love Byron Katie. You know, is it true? Is it really true? I ask myself that a lot. Yeah. And you know what I find out? Most of it's garbage. It's all mind junk. All a lot it. of mind junk. All of it. In I fact, know. yeah, in fact, I haven't found anything that isn't what we could call mind junk, including the good stuff. I said to Katie when she had us uh, meditating and naming things because she said the mind is full of stories. It's just constant stories. And I said, but Katie... This meditation we're doing when we say tree and plant and foot, that's a story as well. And she said, yeah, no story, no world. It's all mind junk. My dog loves me. That's the mind. I am a man. That's the mind. There's a world out here. That's the mind. Everything's the mind. But when we realize that, that's good news because if the mind's giving us something that's painful, we can hack it. We can adjust that. We don't need to do that. Like, I should panic now. Is it true? That's not really fun for me. Let's go and do the work on it. And, you know, for the listeners, she has a process called the work that's very simple, takes about 15 minutes. And I haven't found anything to be absolutely true in the 15 years I've been doing the work with Byron Katie. So I love her. And, you know, we mind junk, I'm telling you. I had 
a big conversation with myself this weekend. Big conver- I actually sat myself down and said, we're going to explore this because this is garbage. And I was having this entire conversation with a client who may wind up being a former client if we don't get it worked out. And honestly, it's it's not them. It's me. They drive me nuts. And I've either got to figure out, can I keep doing this? Can I find a way to, to work with this? Or do I just go ahead and say, listen, we've had a great number of years, but it's time to move on. And David, I found myself having this entire conversation that wore me out. And I realized that in the conversation, I was getting meaner and nastier, and I was going to win at cost. And then I sat myself down and said, what the heck are you doing? This is all in your head. You don't even know what they're thinking. Why haven't you asked? So big, big shift in going, I can't do this anymore. I've got to quit. To going, you know what? It's time to have a, a decent conversation where we just kind of air things out and say, what's going on? Where do we go? That's actually on yes. the schedule. Yeah, the mind goes to war very quickly. Oh, it did. And I was winning, too. It was ugly, but I was yeah. winning. Yeah, I've had, I've had many battles in my head when I just go through every option and every word I could say and what they might say. And, I'll, and then I'll be like, David, what are you doing? You're at war. Is that really what you want to do? I remember when I did Turnaround House with, with Byron Katie for, for a month, there was a guy who threatened to kill me what? in that in the house. In house. Oh. And uh, this was a big, he was, you know, he was a, he was a boxer and a bodybuilder. And, and my mind was constantly at war thinking what I would do and how I would defend myself and, uh, I was going to go to the police and file a report. So if he did something, I'd have that as a background. And I'd, I'd go to Katie and I'd do all these things. And finally, I realized he might have said that one time. I, I'll kill you. But I've been at war thousands of times since then, constantly over and over in my mind. So I finally decided after doing the work on this belief uh, and I forget what the thought was, something like I need to defend myself. What I came up with was my body's safety was his business. He seemed so interested in it. I'd let my body's safety be his business, and he could make whatever decision he wanted. Now, sure, if he threw a punch or did something, at that point, I'm sure I would react. But until then, I wasn't going to be constantly at war. And I actually found some peace, and nothing ever happened. He you know, he settled down and, and we turned out it was because of some old stuff that, that he had. But, but Katie says, defense is the first act of war. Oh. And see, that makes sense because we're always in our own heads, no matter what we're doing. And we're constantly, anybody that says you can have a single thought at any moment, probably is brain dead. That's just not true. I mean, we're constantly, we're going from thought to thought to thought. We're weaving them back around. We're bouncing them around. It's exhausting. So yes, I think you should try to focus. I do try to focus. Am I really good at it? No, but I do try every day to be a little bit better at it. 
I've also learned not to multitask because that's the worst thing I can do to my brain. But when you're fighting in your own head and you're making up these giant, I don't know, what do you want to call it? It's like a storyboard and none of it's true. Why have you spent that much time in your own head making up garbage? And that's that's really what I wanted to talk with you about today. Yeah, and I think you raise a, a point that's close to my heart about um, trying to multitask and trying to do too many things. The metaphor I came up with yesterday was imagine you have a secretary out in the front office and the secretary is willing and happy to do anything. You put something on the secretary's desk, he or she is going to do it. Would you allow anybody in the company uh, to just come through that door and throw things on the secretary's desk, given that the secretary isn't very good at saying no and the secretary doesn't know what to filter and what to triage? You wouldn't do it. You'd, you'd put filters in place and you'd only allow certain things through the door and you'd let the secretary know, all right, this is what's most important. Why don't you get that done today? Tomorrow we can look at the rest. So if you wouldn't do that for your, your right-hand person, why would you do it to your own brain? Why would you wake up and check email instead of working out what's most important for your job or your business, or your life, and doing those things first? Why would you allow your phone to be on disturb mode so you get every single text message, every single call, every single voicemail calling your attention? Then you've got email calling your attention. You've got Facebook. You've got kids in the house. You've got your partner. Not to mention your own brain. Like even if you removed all of those other things, your own brain's going to come in and say, hey, here are 20 things for you to do today. So let's be kind to ourselves and create a filtering system so that we can calm down and work at something and be twice as productive, get twice as much done in half the time, which is actually four times the productivity. I say let's do that. How do we create a filter? And you know what else you were talking and you didn't bring it up, but I had to write down work-life balance because the first thing I do in the morning when I wake up for the final time, I don't sleep all night ever unless I'm really, really sick. Um, But when I wake up for that final time and my eyes open and I used to hit the floor running and my mom would say, oh, God, she's awake. You know, the devil would say, oh, God, she's awake. My mom would say it too. But now... I have learned to stay in bed, look at gratitude, what I'm grateful for. But you know where I'm confused in the morning, David? What is my work-life balance? What do I need to triage? What am I working on? What am I grateful for? And it's difficult. Yeah. So how do we create that filter? I think it's a great question. Where I start with new clients and listeners, you you can take this on as an exercise, is Let's filter over a 12-month term. So we need to look at, work out where we're going. If we don't know where we're going over the next 12 months and we haven't already done the triage for what really matters this year and what would I like to do that I just really don't have the resources to get around to, that's really important and that's going to require some discipline. 
So here's the exercise. You choose three goals for your business or, or job that are measurable and they would have you do the happy dance 12 months from now. Have you do the happy dance. You'd be telling everyone, calling up your friends, I'm just so happy that I have this in my life. So that's three goals and then three personal goals. Now you may find there are 20 other things that want to make it on the list. That's the monkey mind. That's the monkey mind trying to cram everything in and create stress for you and slow you down. It'll actually slow you down. So I say take all those other things that haven't made it into the top six goals and put them on a bonus list and put them in a drawer. And if you achieve like something, that. you achieve, yeah, we're not killing them and we're not, you know, they're, they're still like our children, but they're not going to get our attention until something else on that list of six goals is, is accomplished. And then we can pull something out of the drawer and say, all right, let's get into the bonus drawer. So that's how we triage over the long term. And, and then we can talk about how to bring it back to today. And David, do you find, I find this because I'm a list maker, I have been all of my life, and I have beautiful lists, they've color-coded their bullet points. But what I have found is when I hit those top three, and I'm, I'm going to have to narrow it down to top three, that a lot of the smaller stuff kind of makes its way in there just by happenstance. So I can actually take those yeah. and go, ooh, did that too, good girl. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> it's so true. And we get a dopamine hit whenever we tick something off or an email's done. And it's quite possible uh, for us to feel very, very busy and maybe even feel productive, but doesn't mean we are. We're just getting a lot of stuff done. doesn't mean we're moving with consistent progress towards our 12-month goals. So that's why we do this triage in the long term over 12 months, but that's just the beginning. Then we have to bring it back and make it real today. And how do we do that? Well, you layer the goals. So three months out, which is coming up pretty soon. Right now we're in May, June, July, August. So you pick a date in August and say, what do I want to be able to brag about three months from now to know that I'm fully on track for those 12-month goals? Milestones, we could call them. So that'll give us more of an idea of where we're heading in the short term and again, you might have 20 other things that want to make it onto that list, but those need to go into the bonus store. Like, all right, over three months, this is what I'm going to focus on, and these are the things that I agree with myself not to focus on. Now, that's difficult, but that's where the discipline comes in. Then once we've got the three months, we bring it right back to this week. And I recommend everybody have a date with themselves once a week, just 20 minutes. That's all I'm saying. 20 minutes a week could be 4 o'clock on a Friday, could be 4 p.m. on a Sunday, could be 9 o'clock Monday morning. You choose. But this, in this 20 minutes, you'll look back at what you've achieved in the week because I guarantee you've achieved 10 times more than you can remember. So you want to really go back and dig up those things and go, look what I did. Look at your calendar. Look at your post-it notes in your win column if you, if you like putting post-it notes up on the wall and go, all right. And I sometimes literally reach over and pat my back to me and I say, good job. And then with the, the other 10 minutes in this CEO date with ourselves, 
what am I going to choose to care about for the next seven days? What's going to make it? Everything wants to make it. All right, 30, 40 things want to make it into this list. But what will I choose to care about? And then what will I choose to not care about just for seven days? That's where we triage for the week. And if you have that date with yourself every week, you have a new list every single week where you know what to care about and what not to care about. See, I love that idea, and I have not done that. I do keep track of what I'm doing largely because I have a calendar and I've got – you're going to think I'm an idiot. I love um, little cards, you know, the little index cards. Yeah. I put a lot of my stuff – I have stacks of these things. I go to the Dollar Tree and I buy them, you know, 10 bucks at a time. So I'm coming home with 10 packages of cards. But I write what I need to do, you know, the big three things because I've learned to, you know, take it down to three things that are priority. And then I'll have, you know, other little subset cards. But at the end of whatever it was that I was doing, that number one, number two, number three, I will be able to take that card and shred it. I have a little ceremony, and it's cathartic for me. It's like, woohoo, you know, off I go. That's going into the shredder because it's done. And I've mentally and emotionally crossed it off, and then I'm on to the next really important thing. So that works for me. It's just a funny little trick, but it works. Yeah, so that's a really nice way to triage. These are the three things. You write them down. You can see them physically. I use Post-it notes. And I, and I, have, a col- I have three columns on my wall. The first column is the hopper. That's just things that I know I don't want to forget and I want to get around to and make sure they don't, they don't get lost. So they go in the hopper. And then in the seven-day column, this is, this is like, this is my priority. This is what I care about over the next seven days. And it's quite satisfying to take something from the hopper and pop it in the seven-day column. It's a signal to your subconscious. This is, this is what matters this week. And then sometimes I'll take things off because it's like, that's just too much. I, I, it's, not, it's not your time. I'm sorry. You go back into the hopper. And then when it's done, it goes over into the third column, and that's the win column. So you've got the shredding. That, I like that too. For me, it goes in the win column, and I just see those post-it notes there and feel good about that. Exactly. You know, you're saying this a lot, and I'm writing notes like crazy. You're saying we care about the things you care about. And you've said that repeatedly, and I'm paying attention to it. You know why? Because all of a sudden I'm realizing that where you're saying work on the things that you care about instead of the things that you have to, because that's a mental block for me. I always tell myself, I've got to do this. You know, you have to do And immediately... My little brat says, you're not the boss of me, and off I go. So guess what I'm doing? I'm never using I have to do anything anymore. I will use what I care about. So thank you for that. Nice. You're welcome. And we can tie it back to how we started this call. Another way of saying this is, what's my business? What's my business this week? Because if if you don't clarify that, the secretary in us wants to do everything. It wants to handle everything. It doesn't really know, oh, oh, this is not important. It just thinks everything is important, and it can get overwhelming. So this is a way for us to go, this is my business this week. 
I choose that this is my business and I choose that these other things are not my business just for this week. And I find that quite peaceful. And powerful because you're changing your mindset to saying, listen, my mind is the one I list, I listen to. My mind is the one I work in. Why am I letting all this stuff settle around my ankles and I have to slog through it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. And, and, and I find this a constant dance. It's not like, you, you know, you have this realization and it's done. I'm constantly dancing with my, my own mind. I, now that I've moved into a new house, there are so many things on the list for me to do. You've got to move the piano. I've got to set up the utility bills. got to get the furniture. got to do this with the subtenant. I mean, it's just, it is endless. So the mind says, oh, you've got to do this. And then the response is, yeah, but not today. Mm-hmm. It's not time. It's not time. We've got this priority and this priority, and we will get to that. But it's not today. I saw your house. It's in Colorado, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful home. It is. Where Did I post something on Facebook? How did you see that? Yeah, it's on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah, this is a, a real gift to myself. To um, I, want, I wanted stability, so I wanted a long-term place, but the, the owner wants to tear this down and sell it. And I said, okay, for one year, this is my gift to myself, to have peace, quiet, tranquility, and just really enjoy hosting again, too. As we start to come out of the pandemic and people are getting vaccinated and feeling more comfortable to play, I want to, I want to get back and connect with, with people again and give them a nice space to, to rest in and connect with each other. Well, I think you'll enjoy that house. It's a shame they're going to destroy it, but you know, it's, it's their house. I guess well, they can do what they want to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they'll build something absolutely amazing in its, in its place. I think once a house gets to a certain age, I, I can see how it would make sense to just you know, create, create something new. And by yeah. then, I'll have moved, moved into my own home. That's my goal is to find... Um, I've been happy renting for 52 years, basically, and now I think I'm ready, ready to nest. Well, good for you. Listen, I'm in the same position you are. My, we, I live in the south, deep south, and we have hurricanes. Some years we don't have any. Some years we have four in a row. This last year we had four in a row. I had to have my roof replaced. My bathroom is just absolutely, I can't even sleep in my bedroom right now because of the mold. And now the insurance company is, well, the construction company is saying that they can't do the interior work because the price of wood and labor has gotten so insane. So, look, I'm right there with you. I'm thinking, does this have to be done today? Okay, I've lived out of my bedroom for several months now. I guess I can do it for another month. I'm getting tired of it, but it'll get fixed. I'm not panicked yet. (laughs) So we'll find a way to do it. But, you know, you have to, I could spend all day, every day fighting with my insurance company, or I could make the money to pay for it myself if I have to. So that's what I'm going to do. Nice. If they're they're not going to fix it for me, I will fix it myself. I love that. So, there should be a name for this, and maybe there is. What you just did with your mind, I think the mind can get into tunnel vision, 
and it says, I have to do this. And, and you know, I have to get them to pay for this. And, and then they're not going to, what if they don't? Yeah, they're not going to, it's clear. Yeah. Well, what you did is you created another path. And so you, um, you detached from that outcome. And so what came up as I was hearing you say this was a distinction by uh, Landmark Education. I'm a big fan of and I've done a lot of training with them. They came up with something called commitment versus attachment. And so when, when we talk on this, in this conversation about um, what's my business and we talk about not panicking and we might talk about flowing with, with what's happening, some people might think, oh, well, you're just giving up or you might be resigning or you're not actually leading or creating. And that's not what I'm saying. It's actually possible to be committed to something and to show up fully and to take action and yet still not stress about it and not be attached to what happens. And I think a lot of people go one way or the other. Either I'm attached to it, I'm going to show up, I'm going to take every action and get this insurance company to try and pay, or I'll stop and I'll just give up. And I think there's a middle ground, which is very important for, for the leader in all of us, where we show up fully to what we care about and we take all the actions and we write the insurance company and we maybe get a lawyer and we maybe do this and we might call them once a day. And I'm not saying you should do this, but this is an example where we just show up, take full action, and at the same time, make friends with the fact that it may never happen. And yeah, if I don't get this to happen, and I'm just using this as an example, if I don't get this to happen, I will make the money and I will pay for it. It's going exactly. to be fine. And I have not given up on getting them to do something with it, anything, something. Uh, you know, I'm not walking away and going, oh, hey, gee, thanks. That's not in my, my wheelhouse. But I'm also not going to get ugly or nasty with them and have them go, we don't like her. We're not going to help her. So yes. I'm doing You've the right the thing. Spot. Exactly. But if I have to do it on my own, I w- I'm not going to let my house rot. That's just not going to happen ever. Yes. I'm realizing I did the same thing with the agent um, here with this house. We've got a long list of repairs as I moved in. And the agreement was they will be substantially completed by yesterday. Ooh. Well, yeah, I realized we, we had 5% done on uh, two days ago. And I'm like, I don't think you're going to make it. He said, yeah, I guess not. So, I sent a, le- I sent a nice uh, email saying, hey, it looks like you haven't met the lease agreement. I wanted a paper trail. And I'm willing to give you another seven days, but if it goes past that, I want to talk about a rent reduction or me handling the repairs and billing you for them. So, I, you know, I put them on notice. So options. The you gave them options. Time, I did. But at the same time that I'm doing this and I'm kind of playing friendly hardball, which I just made up. I really like that term. I made it up right this second. Playing friendly hardball. At the same time, I'm letting go of it in my mind. And I'm saying, you know what? I love this place. I'm not going to let any of this stuff stress me. I don't need any of these repairs done. And so that's the sweet spot. You show up fully, and at the same time, you're unattached. I think there's a lot of power there. And I like to imagine, I never met Gandhi, 
But I like to imagine that that was the place that Gandhi came from. And I like to imagine that's the place that Martin Luther King came from. Total commitment, total showing up, and yet, well, I don't know how attached he was, but he was a very powerful man, and I like to think that he was unattached and yet showing up fully. Right. You don't have to give up, and you don't have to throw your hands up in the air and say, you know, you guys are bad people, and blah, 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 blah. We're all human, and these are companies. They have their reasons for doing what they need to do. But you don't have to make their life ugly because that just does not work. So if you're planning on going out, all of you who are listening, and making somebody's life hell, just think about karma. She will come and get you. Yeah. I'm telling you right now. You don't have to, you know, oh, thank you. You Please, please fix this. But you have to be clear, concise about your expectations and be pleasant. It's not that difficult to do. And I love how this comes back full circle to uh, what we talked about. The mind wants to go to war often. And mine in particular gets very combative. And yet, if you do that, if you're coming from this uh, real aggression, sometimes it'll work. Some people will fold. But generally, the universe pushes back. And so it's just not usually, I think, the best response. I just thought about um, just three weeks ago I, in my old house, the owner moved back in downstairs. So now I'm living upstairs and the owner of the house is living downstairs. And I was very worried about setting my boundaries. Uh, he hadn't rented the house out before and he's coming back. And I was just really worried that I was going to be able to have a quiet space to en- enjoy because I can get very jumpy And on the first day he moved in, he opened the adjoining door between our apartments and walked in and said, I'm just going to be using the storage room. And I was in disbelief. Uh And at the same time, panicking. Like my nervous system was on high alert. And I couldn't imagine living in this house with him just coming and going into my space. And I was very proud of myself. I didn't start with combating. I started with, Firstly, welcome. You know, welcome back to Colorado. And secondly, would you be willing to give me a heads up? And he said, no. He said, I'm just, I'm going to be using the room. I'm going to be in and out. And I'm just telling you, this is how it's going to be. I'm not asking you, I'm telling you. And I was, I was, my whole system was in panic. But what was fascinating about this whole experience, Denise, is watching my mind and seeing where it went and what it could do. So firstly, it went to boundary setting, and I tried verbally. I said, this feels like a violation of my right to quiet enjoyment. He said, it's not a violation of anything, and I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to discuss it. It's like, all right, that didn't work. <laughs> but I tried that. I tried the boundary setting. Next, I tried uh, calling his wife and said, look, I'm having a panic attack. Can you help mediate something here? And she said, well, he's calling me here. I'll talk to him first. And then at the same time, I was looking, can I let go of this? Like, what if this doesn't work? And I called a friend and said, can I stay tonight? And she said, yeah, of course. So I'm like trying all these different options. And then uh, I called the police. And I said, 
hey, I don't know what my rights are, and I don't know if you can help, but I wonder if you can help, even if it's just to mediate. And they sent out a sheriff, and he did actually mediate something, at least for that night. And so it was really, and then I noticed on my end, I was like, okay, what are my options if he just keeps coming in here? And I realized I could physically remove him. That's an option. Maybe not my best option, but it's an option. I could install a lock on the inner door. Again, I didn't like that because it can, it can lead to an escalation. Yes, um, it Yeah, and I, you know, I'm physically removing him. But I realized I have these options. I can do these things. In the end, and I thought, when it comes to Monday, I can call a lawyer and I can see what my options are here. So I had all of those options there, and I didn't use any of them. In the end, I sent him a long message inviting him to a cup of tea in the garden. And he said, I'll meet you in 20 minutes. And uh, we both brought our cup of tea. We sat out looking out over the valley. And I started with, tell me how you manifested such an amazing house. And he talked for half an hour. He talked for half an hour because I said, I want to do the same thing right now. And I'm wondering how you did it. Did you get lucky? Did you work really hard? Like what happened? He talked for half an hour and told me the whole story of that house. And then after, after that was complete, I said, can I share with you what's been going on for me the last 24 hours? He said, yeah. I said, I'm miserable. I'm just trying so hard to change my mind and be with you coming in and out, and I'm just miserable. Is there any way you'd be willing to give me 24 hours notice so my nervous system could relax? And he said, yes. And sitting right there in front of him, I cried. It was such a relief and a relief for me. So my lesson from this was, you know, list your combative options, particularly when something's really important. It's good to know those options, and maybe that's what you need to do. Like calling the police, in hindsight, was a really good move. And then, but then, what are your other options? What are your friendly options? And I think begging. I used to be too proud to beg. I'm no longer too proud to beg. Begging can be a really wonderful option, and I was totally willing to do that. I transformed that relationship. So this guy who I'd called the police on was now offering to pick me up things in town when he goes shopping. I'm offering to carry his groceries. And he turned out to be a real sweetheart. So... When the mind wants to fight, just notice it. And maybe that's an option. Sometimes that's the best option. But make sure you're also looking at your other options because you can transform that relationship with connection. Right. And I think the important thing that I'm hearing from you, I'm not sure you actually said it, is to sit with those options. Identify them and sit with them and don't make any knee-jerk decisions while you're still going, oh my God, I can't stand this. I'm going to clobber this guy. You know, sit with it yeah. for a bit and then choose the best option and go with that. And then if that didn't work, go with the next option. Yeah, yeah. Notice the desire to push back and to fight. That's the first thing. Oh, I'm going to war. Even in my head, I'm going to war. I think we want to catch that. And then if you do go to war, okay, do it consciously after considering everything else and hopefully after getting some coaching or advice from people you really trust. 
Um, one teacher of mine once said, going to court is warfare. It's all-out warfare. And that was, that was a really good perspective because I realized, yeah, I, I'm, I'm quite happy to bluff. You know, I might get a letter from a lawyer and I'll bluff. But I'm very reluctant to go to court. But if you are going to do it, it's warfare. You don't want to do it halfway. You, you know, you, you go, want to know what you're getting yourself in for. And then if you are going to go to war, and this is a very masculine um, thing, uh, know what you're doing and go all out. It's a fight. Same, same with if you are physically in a fight, let's say you're getting mugged. And this is something else I got from, from a, a course where it's all about bringing out your masculine. If you do have to fight, okay, you show up. You do whatever you have to do to get out of that situation. But hopefully that'll be a, a last resort. There are a lot of things, about a thousand things normally you can do before you get to that. But if that does come up, okay, you might have to fight. That was me calling the police. That was me saying, hey, this is not okay. I'm going to pull out all the stops here. So you weren't playing safe is what you're saying. So I wasn't playing safe? Yeah. I mean, by, you know, just letting him do what he wanted to do, that would have been playing safe in my opinion. I don't – well, it wasn't safe for me because I was having a panic attack. No kidding. That, that would have been a dangerous option, but I wasn't being passive. I I, gotcha. I made five phone calls in the space of like five minutes to try and work out what I could what I could do to a calm down and b handle this situation for the long term. Um, and then once I did have a, a chance to calm down, I got to see more options and I got to sleep on it. And then I my 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 wisdom prevailed, and I saw I really need to talk with him. I need to be vulnerable with him, and I need to connect with him uh, for human to human. That was the breakthrough for me. And that makes perfect sense. You know, I've had some situations where, you know, I was like, I'm going to smack somebody in the head. But I always have to take a step back and say, would you want to be smacked in the head, Denise? No, you would not. So you have to find out what those options are, and I love this story. Um, and I'm glad it worked out well for you because there's so many things that could have gone wrong, but who knows what was in his head when he was thinking that maybe he was just upset that he couldn't have his whole house, even though it was his own decision and somebody else was in his home. Who knows? It's probably not even important anymore. So I've got questions for you. And I mentioned, um, playing safe. You say, and I've heard you say this and, you know, different podcasts that you do, why playing safe is the most dangerous thing that you can do. What does that mean, David? Mm, yeah. Playing safe is the most dangerous thing you can do. Um, sometimes it can be the most dangerous thing you can do. It's because I've found that the things I most regret in life are usually the things I didn't do. They're not the yep. things I did. I agree. It's, you know, yeah, if you, I want to ask myself the question, David, if you could take back anything in life, what would you take back? And it was a very hard question to answer because 
everything I've done has led to where I am today. And if I took something back, who knows the ripple effect? So there are, there are only one or two things that I thought, yeah, if I could take that back, I, I would. But it's the things I didn't do. It's not standing up to the bully in school and just maybe punching the bully on the nose and taking a beating. I regret that. I regret not asking the girls out that I was attracted to in school. I regret when I play small and I don't screw up my courage. Those are the things I, I regret. And so if we just play safe all the time, I think we start to accumulate regrets and we start to wonder what if. And I don't want anyone on their deathbed to say, what if? What if I'd had the courage to tell that person what I really thought and to tell them how much I, I appreciated them and cared, cared for them? If I had the courage to say to someone, that's not okay and I'm not going to put up with that. If I had the courage to leave a relationship that isn't good for me or a job that was just boring me to tears, but I'm just in it for the money. So this is why I say, what would happen if you were 30% more courageous? Here's a great exercise. You grab a piece of paper, I'm inviting all listeners to do it. Grab a piece of paper and write at the top, what would I do with my life if I was fearless? You don't have to do anything you write down. We're just asking, what would life look like? What would my business look like? What would my relationships look like if I was fearless and fully self-expressed? All my desires expressed, all my tolerations expressed. And then go through the sheet. You don't have to, cir you don't have to circle everything. I'm not saying be 100% more courageous. Well, just 30%. What if you circle a few things on there? And say, All right, I want to find my edge. I want to screw up my courage. And I want to see what's li what life is like if I go and ride my edge. And you, who knows what you're going to find out. You might discover, you might make more money at work. You might lose a couple of relationships that weren't very good for you. You might get more deeply connected with the people who matter to you. You might finally get to go and write that song or give a performance or give a speech that you know, you've, you've wanted to do but you've been too nervous to do. I want everybody to be fully self-expressed. That's, that's what drives me in life. And you know, I swear I think you're digging around in my brain because you just mentioned something about playing small. And that has been a big question that I've been asking myself for months now. I've identified that I'm playing small. I think I probably have a huge case of imposter syndrome. And I excuse it, <clears throat> excuse me, by admitting to the world at large that I'm a highly committed introvert, which is a big excuse. It means I don't have to go do anything or be around people or, you know, get out there and, and go bigger than I have gone. And I have to tell you, David, I am sick and tired of playing small. Mm, I love hearing that. I feel excited hearing that. Um, one, of, one of the tricky things about fear is it's not always conscious. We don't always know oh, where yeah. our edges are. Right. And, and I, 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 it's just 
what just came up in my mind in a flashback to when I was doing a self-expression and leadership program. That's the name of it, uh, by Landmark Education. And I, and I played hooky from one of our, our uh, meetings to go to the Bahamas with some friends, and I took my guitar on the plane. And I had to do a lot of fast talking to get that guitar on the plane. But <laughs> I wanted to play in front of people. And my friend said to me, all right, go and grab your guitar. It's time to play on the plane. And I made all sorts of excuses. I said, oh, people, it's going to bother some people. People don't want to, you know, not everyone wants to hear it. And she said to me, you're scared. Shut up and grab your guitar. And she was right. I was scared. I just didn't want to do it because I was scared. So I went back, got my guitar, and I played American Pie and sang it. And a few people, this was before um, uh, 9-11, I think, and people were allowed oh. to congregate. And, and people right. came and they stood, they stood around me and started singing. And then the, the flight attendant, and remember, this is the guy who scared to play in front of people but wanted to. And then the flight attendant came down and said, there's an old lady up in first class in a wheelchair who says that you promised her a song. And I was like, oh, my God, I'd had two beers. And I said, this lady said, will you sing for me later? And I said, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to stand up in front of everyone, walk up to the front of the plane and squat down in the aisle and play a song for this woman. And then the flight attendant said, that's so good. Would you be willing to do that over the PA system? Oh. So here's a guy who's scared and is doing a self-expression and leadership program who actually played Johnny B. Good over the PA system of the plane on the way to the Bahamas. So, and that was such an amazing experience for me. Now, after that, I ended up becoming a professional entertainer. For a year and a half, even playing on national television, on our national gong show, which you asked about before. Yeah, what is a gong show? I don't, I don't well, even know what it is. Do something, you do something silly or crazy and you've got about 30 seconds and they're going to gong you off as soon as oh. they're tired of you. Okay. So it's, it's very, very scary. But, you know, that's what that led to. That time where I just went and did what I was scared of led to me playing on national television in Australia and being an entertainer professionally for a year and a half. And who knows the ripple effect of the people that I've impacted and uh, I became a professional speaker. I've gone on to do 20 stand-up comedy gigs. Like, how do we know that it wasn't that moment of confronting that fear that led to everything else over the following 15 to 20 years. That's amazing. Do you want me to tell you what I've figured out that I'm afraid of? I'm terrified of it. I do. I have been podcasting. I'm almost worried to even say this out loud. I have been podcasting for 13 years. I was an early adapter. I'm actually in my own opinion, and in a lot of people's opinions, a subject matter expert on podcasting. All of a sudden, everybody and their grandmother is a podcaster. God bless them. Some are good. Some will get good. 
And all of a sudden, they're putting out, oh, this is how you do it. You have to buy this, and you've got to do this, and they're experts. And, David, a lot of what they're putting out there is sheer, unadulterated garbage. There's no other way to put it. I can teach people a fairly contrarian way of having a podcast, getting you know written up on Inc.com, being heard all over the world. I'm huge in China. Go figure. And I don't do it because I don't think people will listen to me. So there you have it. That's my biggest fear right now. Mm. Wow. Do you think, how do you think you could apply our conversation about commitment versus attachment to this? Do you want to write the forward for my book? Sure. Okay. Because I would love to have this conversation, I'm going to have it transcribed and take it and put it into my own fear. And, and I have to write about that in the course. I have to. Because it's taken me so long to do it, I almost sometimes feel like I've lost my my window of opportunity, which is just not true. But again, it's part of that fear. And I'm listening to you. I'm scribbling notes. And I'm thinking, well, you see what I'm thinking. I actually told on myself on, on the radio. So, yeah, what you're talking yeah, about is well really, really important. Yeah, well done. And whose business is it, um, what you decide to share with the world? Good point. You said that earlier. Is that and your I business? Yes. Is that your In business, the- other people's business, or God's business? Oh, it's God's business. Could be, could be. And whose business is it who decides to listen to you? It's actually not my business, is it? Bingo. Oh. I would suggest that your business is what you decide to share with the world. You share it, and then it's other people's business if they want to listen to it or not. It's none of your business. True. That's exactly right. You know, Larry Wingett is a good friend of mine. He's written six New York Times bestsellers. A lot of people know who he is. Some don't. One of the very first conversations I had with Larry Wingett, look him up. He's a fascinating guy. He said to me, and I think this is a title of a book that he had read, and that launched him from a failed business that failed overnight, literally, because of government breakdown, and then into his now, I mean, he's known as the pit bull of personal development. And he said to me, Denise, what you think of me is really none of my business. And I wrote that on a now very old, yellowed, brownish index card, and it's stapled to my wall. And here we are. Yeah, I love that. None of, none of your business, what they think of you, you, your business is how you show up. Your business exactly. is what you write. It's what you share. You do that. That's the commitment part. You can just be committed, if you choose, to that and then unattached to what people do with it. I'll be darned. And I don't know why I'm so terrified of it. I mean, I've got the course halfway written. I've got the book halfway written. And I always find a reason not to do it. Oh, I need a new roof. Oh, I need to go fight with the insurance company. No, 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 no. There's always a reason. 
Yeah. And I'm playing safe. I'm playing safe. And you're right. It's dangerous because I will lose my my window of opportunity if I don't just say, Denise, this is important. Do it. Bingo. Yep, that's a great example of how playing safe is dangerous because then then you can be then you can be asking yourself for the rest of your life, I wonder what would have happened if I'd gotten that book out. I wonder who I could have helped. I wonder who I would have met out of that. Exactly. Yeah. You didn't realize you were going to be giving me free coaching today, did you? I didn't. But I'm glad this got really practical because it's one thing to talk about coaching. It's another thing to experience it and, and witness it. So I'm really appreciating your transparency on this. Is there, um, and, and I may have missed it already, is there an action you'd like to commit to out of this conversation to move yourself forward? Well, yeah. I, I've i got Sarah, now I'm stuttering. I just, honest to God, my stomach hurts. This made my tummy hurt. I had no idea I was going to just kind of out myself as a coward, if you will, on my own radio show. But it's been bothering me for the longest kind of time, and I'm not taking steps. I'm way out of my comfort zone. And I can keep on talking on the radio, but I think a lot of people need to know how I do it, why I do it, and what I get out of it, and why it's so important to just get out of my my own comfort zone. So I'm thinking that what I need to do is pull out my little index cards and start winnowing out what are the first steps, what triage it. And I'll let you know how that works. Nice. Yeah, work out the steps, triage it, come up with a plan. And then if you feel motivated after that, you might start creating time in your calendar and block off the time so that you can show up and play I will do that. I've done it before, but again, I've always found a reason to go, mm, you know, that's not real critical. It's not going to make me money. I've got to do this for my client. I should be an attorney. I've got great fence-sitting skills, terrific fence-sitting skills. <laughs> so I need yeah. to stop talking myself out of what has to happen. I love that. And and listeners, it's, you know, it sounds like Denise no longer needs a nudge, but if you if you're thinking – hey, I want to learn from Denise. I want to you know, learn from her wisdom. I want to find the uncommon path to massive podcast success. Maybe you'll send her an email, give her a little nudge and say, yes, we want it now. Get on, get on her back, even though it seems that she, she no longer needs the encouragement. Oh, thank you. And I do need encouragement. I really do. You know, people will say, well, why do you podcast? And I'll tell you why, because I get to meet people like you. I mean, I've been doing this for 13 years. I meet people literally from all over the world. And I consider my guests to be my mentors. If I walk away from a 60-minute conversation with you or with anybody else, I've just wasted your time and mine and the audience. I mean, I learn so much from you guys, and that's why I do it, seriously. Mm. I, well, it's, a, it's an honor. It's an honor to, to be with you on this call and really appreciating your vulnerability. Well, thank you. Now I'm going to go throw up. I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> right on. <laughs> well, don't, don't do it halfway. If you're going to do it, make it a good one. 
I know. David, thank you so much for spending time with me. I can't even begin to tell you how much I appreciate your wisdom and the tips, the advice, the steps, and I am definitely going to everything that we talked about today. It's time, and I'm tired of beating myself up, and I just, there was a reason you're here with me today, and I thank you for that. So before I say goodbye, before I let you go, where can people find you? Thank you. They can find me uh, at focus.ceo. That's my website. And I created a hidden page on that site for, for listeners uh, where I've got a gift basket of goodies for you about how to be twice as productive. And if you want to get on a call with me and strategize about your life or work, uh, I'd be happy to do that as well. Find where the low-hanging fruit is and see if uh, it would make sense for us to work together. You can do that at and I invite you to write this down, myfocusgift.com. That'll take you straight to the hidden page on my website, myfocusgift.com. And I'd love to hear from you. I'm writing that down. I'm heading that way as soon as we're done here. Uh, before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to look first in iTunes, Audible, Prime, we're everywhere. Just go wherever you consume your business podcasts and look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. David, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 